You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Now, Mick Foley, as a best-selling author, it seems like you have a little problem understanding the English language. Yeah, among other things. So for your own benefit, let The Rock tell you one more time in plain, simple English. The Rock did not run over Stone Cold. Adamant about that, King. What about a polygraph test? Now for further clarification, let The Rock tell you in another language. Let him tell you in Swedish. What? Swedish? The Rock didn't run over Stone Cold on the... What? What? Swedish? You don't understand Swedish? You're not bilingual? I don't think Foley is either, though. Now, Mick, if you need even further clarification, let The Rock tell you in Chinese. Uh oh. Chinese? Ding bong ding dong, he's don't go aye! I think he just ordered some uh, chicken chow mein. And welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. That, of course, was not Garrett Ashley Mullet. That was. Dwayne The Rock Johnson from back in the day, from my childhood. I wasn't a big watcher, viewer, fan of professional wrestling, but every now and then, just for kicks and grins, just because it was entertaining every now and then to mix things up. And funny that some people maybe think it's real. I don't know. Thought it was real. I don't know. I would turn on WWF, WWE, and there you had it. The origins of Dwayne Johnson's, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, that's why he was called The Rock, Dwayne Johnson's career. Also, interestingly enough, for those of you not in the know, Plato, ancient Greek philosopher, Plato was a wrestler back in the day, a couple thousand years ago, ancient classical Greece. Do you know what Plato actually means? I wonder how many of us actually know what Plato's name actually meant. It's a Greek name, obviously, of course, naturally. Of course it would be. It was a nickname given to the Greek philosopher by his athletics teacher in honor of his broad physique. It basically means he had broad shoulders. So he was a wrestler, and his nickname was Broad Shoulders. His birth name was Aristocles. Fun fact. There you go. Uh, Our modern day Plato, our modern day wrestler philosopher, recently spoke out in support. And by spoke out, what I mean is he commented on Joe Rogan's video on Instagram and expressed support for Joe Rogan in the midst of all these calls to cancel Joe Rogan. He has come under fire for doing so. Of course he has. We'll cancel you too, Dwayne Johnson. Don't think we didn't catch that. Don't think you can associate yourself with Joe Rogan without repercussions. And so that clip that I just played for you at the top of the episode, that has resurfaced thanks to the likes of Tim Poole and Benny Johnson 
on Twitter. They are here to do a public service and basically call out Dwayne Johnson as a hypocrite. Because here's what new information came to light that caused Dwayne Johnson to retract publicly his public support for Joe Rogan. Someone told Dwayne Johnson, again, in the comments, that he needs to be better than that. A lot of people look up to you as a hero, Dwayne Johnson. Don't you know that Joe Rogan used to use the N-word? He has said some ugly things about black people. And then, of course, Dwayne Johnson, loving his celebrity and his fame and his fortune, being committed to that, came back with Mahalo, <laughs> as if to remind us all that he is of Polynesian origin. He is not a white person. Therefore, he can't be racist. I didn't realize I've since been educated on the uh, broader narrative, the full narrative with regards to Joe Rogan. Now I know who he really is. Thank you for helping me to become a better person to grow through this. And so it's only fair if we're going to dredge up things that Joe Rogan said from years or even decades ago in an attempt to cancel him for things that he just recently said, or for people he had the temerity to interview and talk with respectfully. It's only fair we pull up some things that Dwayne Johnson said a few decades ago. Now, where does it end? Where will it end? Well, it ends where we rediscover grace, forgiveness, repentance. There's a whole lot of people that need to repent of things that they have said and done in the past, but first in line are the cancel culture folks who are so full of themselves, and they think that because there's a lot of them, because they gather together and they have something approaching a public approval as they see it, look at all the people who agree with me. Right? We're all outraged together. We can't be wrong. And because so many others are afraid of them, they're feeling their oats, they never have to look at the skeletons in their closet. We never get to talk about the skeletons in their closet. That's part of the reason why you join cancel culture and the lynch mob. If I'm part of the lynch mob, I don't get lynched. Right? But that's not the topic I want to discuss First and foremost today, the topic I want to discuss has to do with South Dakota officially banning biological males from competing in female sports through the collegiate level. South Dakota's governor is Kristi Noem, Republican, a, I think, important voice in the Republican Party and among conservative governors in the country. I do not like her as much as I like Ron DeSantis of Florida. Texas Governor Abbott is also pretty good. I would put him below Ron DeSantis as well, probably above Christy Nome, if I'm honest. But Christy Nome, to her credit, did just sign this bill into law on Thursday that bans biological males who identify as female, who identify as women, from competing in girls' sports. And this is not the first time Christy Noem has had an opportunity to sign such a bill. A similar bill, probably not an identical bill, but a similar bill was presented to her a while back, and she declined, she refused to sign it on the grounds that it would lead to litigation, a litigator's dream. Lawyers would make a killing off of trying this bill, the first bill in courts, and she didn't want that. Now, if those were her genuine reasons, I think she deserves some credit for saying that's just not 
a good place to go. We can do this better than you want to do it. If you want to do this thing, we need to do it better. We need to bring our A game. Kind of like the famous story of Henry Kissinger that I like to tell and I like to remind myself of, asking a speechwriter, is this the best you can do? Is this the best you can do? He asks the speechwriter three or four times. The speechwriter goes back and rewrites the speech multiple times. And finally, the speechwriter has had enough. Yes, 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 that's the best I can do. And if it's not good enough, well, then I guess I should just go find something else to do for a living. And Kissinger calmly says, oh, okay, well, then I, I guess I'll read it this time. Because he didn't even read it. But the speechwriter knew that wasn't his best work. He knew he could have been doing better. Maybe there was something in the way he was carrying himself that told Kissinger that he wasn't taking this seriously as it needed to be taken. I don't know. But my suspicion when Christy Nome declined to sign the first bill that her legislature in South Dakota presented her with, it had everything to do with fear. Uh, she wanted to take some more time to read the tea leaves and to see if this was going to be good for her political career overall or whether this was going to torpedo her larger, broader efforts at governing. And insofar as that was my view of it, that was my honest opinion based on what I was reading and what I was hearing and what I was seeing, uh, I was disappointed that she didn't take that first opportunity to sign such into law. But take a listen to this brief interview with Jesse Waters at Fox News and Christy Noem talking about the signing of this legislation. It's not a very long clip. It's just a couple of minutes. And then I have perhaps an interesting take. Perhaps you'll find it interesting. Perhaps you'll find it beneficial. It may get me canceled as well, but so be it. If so, it's my honest opinion. We have to be honest. If we lose that, then we are truly lost. If we lose our ability to engage in the public discourse and be mistaken, and if we have no avenue for either correcting mistakes, being forgiven, or forgiving one another, only then are we truly lost and will we tear ourselves and one another apart. But I am not going to go quietly into that good night. So let's play the clip, and then I will give you my honest take on it. Men and women are biologically different. Saying this is controversial in 2022 because a part of the country's gone mad. On average, men are bigger, we're stronger, we have testosterone coursing through our veins. We have a competitive physical advantage over women courtesy of our chemical makeup. So it's simply unfair for men and women to compete against each other athletically in officially sanctioned events. Don't believe me? This is MMA fighter Alana McLaughlin straight up pummeling her competition in the octagon. And this is her when she was a man. Listen, I love sports, and I understand why a transgender woman would want to compete in them, but I also understand why her competition, biological women, would have a problem with that. They're at a disadvantage, and it hurts their chance of winning championships, scholarships, meddling at the Olympics, or just enjoying the fair spirit of the game. So what is the solution? At 5 p.m. today, South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem signed a bill to limit collegiate and K-12 athletes to the sex given on their birth certificate. The bill is the strongest in the nation so far for protecting women's sports. This is about fairness. This is about making sure that our girls have a chance to be successful and to compete, to win scholarships, potentially go on and play professional sports beyond that. We want them to have the opportunity. Joining me now, Governor Christine Noem. All right, so, Governor, if we decide to move to South Dakota and I bring my twin girls who are 10 years old, you're saying, and I might do this for tax purposes anyway, so you're saying that they would never have to compete against a biologically born man if that person has an M on their birth certificate. It is true that your girls will have a level playing field. They'll get the chance to compete only against other biological females as reflected on their birth certificate. 
because we want them to have a chance to be successful. We recognize there's a lot of different competitions, such as academic, debate, speech, that your biological sex isn't that much of a factor, but it is when it comes to sports. And here in South Dakota, in our K-12 system and at our college level, we're going to ensure that those girls have a chance to compete. Is there any wiggle room here? Because there were some issues with the NCAA and sponsorships and boycotts. Is this thing airtight? It is. And what it does is it allows the girls that didn't make the team because a biological male made the team, it allows them the chance to go after litigation for the opportunity to play. It doesn't uh, create a trial lawyer's dream and uh, create a lot of new litigious opportunities. What it does is it says, listen, I want an opportunity to play, and it gives them the chance to challenge that school district to be a part of that team. Well, I think everybody knows how much I dislike trial lawyers and how much I love my daughters and uh, how much I want my daughters to win and, uh, and win in a fair way. And I think that's important. We want to compete and we want to compete fairly. So hopefully uh, what you've done there in South Dakota creates a fair and level playing field and people should applaud you for that. Thank you so much, well, Governor. Thank you, Jesse. Appreciate, appreciate you having me on. Okay. So. There you have it. Christy Nome, the lovely governor from South Dakota, saying this bill is better than the previous bill. Not in so many words, but this is airtight. It's not a trial lawyer's dream, like she said the first bill was. This one is going to protect our girls when they are competing in sports from having to compete against biological males who identify as girls. Jesse Waters keys in on the fact that he's got daughters. I have a daughter. I have a daughter who does not have a killer instinct. And that's okay. Because, quite frankly, countrymen, friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears, our daughters are not supposed to have a killer instinct. They're not. They're supposed to have a nurturing instinct by God's design. This is something I really want to key in on and I really want to address in my book. And this is why we got married. Because our confusion about gender and sexuality and our humanity for that matter leads to troubles in our relationships, specifically in the case of my book, our marriages. Our marriages have been in trouble as we have rejected what God's word says about gender and sexuality and humanity. But if we embrace what God says about who we are and where we come from and who he is and why we're here and where we're going, then we will be able to understand what we should do and how we should relate. That holds true for marriage, that will also hold true in my subsequent book, which I hope to write by God's grace. And this is why we had children, where I'm going to talk about why we made the decision to have children, why we have so many children. People ask, right? It's a common question. I may bristle at it sometimes. Lord, forgive me. And people who ask, who, in, in all honesty, who in good faith ask, I hope they'll forgive me as well. Because some people ask very rudely. Not everybody asks rudely. And I think increasingly the people who ask in my context are asking sincerely, genuinely, because they just, they don't know. But it has a, a, a big part to play. Understanding gender and sexuality and our humanity in light of God's word has a big part to play in how we approach the decision to get married, how we approach the many decisions of how to orient our marriages, how we approach the decision of whether to have children, when to have children, how to raise those children once we have them. And in this case, in the case of South Dakota and this bill that was just signed, you see Republicans catching on to a very typical talking point on the left. We need to pass XYZ legislation for the children. Now, they 
quickly abandon that line of reasoning when it comes to running up the national debt, spending money we don't have, running huge deficits, passing bills by the trillion, sending our money overseas. They don't talk about doing that for our children. No, no. But insofar as Republicans are saying, hey, wait a second, we have daughters, our daughters want to compete, they want to get scholarships, they want to go to college, they want to be able to afford going to college, they want to be able to go to a good college, go to a good school, not worry about racking up a huge debt. They're athletic, let them compete, let them win, have a chance at winning, do it for the children. It's not fair to our daughters in particular. Well, that's a very effective, as the Democrats have demonstrated, it's a very effective line of reasoning and argumentation and campaigning. And it's hard for the Democrats to counter that, as Matt Walsh demonstrated here recently when he went on the Dr. Phil show. Why do you care so much? Well, I care about women and children. It's not fair to women and children <laughs> that we would allow biological males to go around acting as though, pretending as though they are women so that they can gain advantages over actual women. That's not fair. I think also of Fezzik the Giant in The Princess Bride. I've been pulling a lot of Princess Bride references out here lately, if you haven't noticed. But you have Fezzik squaring off against the man in black, who turns out to be the Dread Pirate Roberts, who turns out to be Wesley from the beginning of the movie. And he says at a certain point, I could kill you now. <laughs> Because Wesley's questioning the whole premise of you lay down your rock, I lay down my sword, we kill each other in a civilized way as God intended. Well, I could kill you now. I could just throw this giant rock at your head. I don't have to miss. <laughs> That's not sportsmanlike, right? Fezzik is physically bigger, stronger than the man in black. The man in black outwits him, outmaneuvers him, puts him in a chokehold, causes him to lose consciousness, goes about his merry way. But here's my, please don't cancel me, but so what if you do down the road take on this whole business? And we'll key in on the conversation that Jesse Waters and Christy Nome had that I just played for you. Notice how Jesse Waters is trying to be very specific in saying that it's not fair for biological males to compete against biological females in sports because biological males are indisputably bigger, stronger, faster, tougher. They have greater bone density, more muscle mass. They are athletically superior and even a mediocre male athlete can come away with the gold consistently when he competes against the very best female athletes. Look at the world records for athletic competition, for speed and strength and endurance, for agility, for men and for women. And you will not see women's names holding the overall records, you'll see consistently men's names. This is also why I oppose making females, making women, making girls sign up for the draft. It's this radical egalitarian, gender is a social construct, all men and women are created equal in all ways. We have to level the playing field, as they say, sort of thinking. It's theory and it's not borne out by the facts, which makes it a garbage theory. Men and women are different by design, not because of evolution, not because society said so, not because of oppressive norms and expectations which we need to upset and destroy in the interest of authentic self-expression. No, biologically, genetically, men and women are different by design, according to God's purpose. That's the way he planned it out. That's 
not accidental. It was purposeful, and it's not a result of the fall. God made Adam first. Pre-fall, did God mess up? Do we find fault with God and say that that's not fair? But God, that's not fair that you made man first. If God were not God, and we were talking about some human being making that decision, we would say it was sexist. But we just don't talk about it when we're talking about God's created order because maybe we have the good sense to stop short of calling God a sexist. Or some of us do anyway. The atheists don't. It's amazing how much they rail against a God they don't believe exists. The level of anger they feel towards a God that they don't believe exists is curious indeed. But those who say they believe in God do well to ponder what do they believe about God. Do they believe rightly about God? And do they worship him in spirit and in truth? And if they worship him in spirit and in truth, what do they do with God having created Adam first in the garden? Now, it doesn't say that God only created man, male, in his image. It says that God created them, male and female, in his image. So women are created in God's image. Men are created in God's image. And they are equal in the sight of God and man in terms of their inherent worth as image bearers. The Imago Dei is an important feature of the Christian worldview, and it explains why, actually, Christianity has been a very great force for good when it comes to defending the rights of women, actual rights of women, not abortion. Abortion is not a right. A wrong cannot be a right. You don't have the right to murder your unborn child. But actual rights, treating women with fairness, with decency, with respect, is very important in the Christian worldview for one very important, simple reason. That woman is created in God's image to bear his image. A sin against that woman is a sin against God himself. You are sinning against God as you are abusing a creature that he made in his image. But beyond that, beyond the fact that men and women are created in God's image equally, they are distinct and different. And Paul, the apostle in the New Testament, gets canceled by theological liberals. Social liberals follow suit. Political liberals follow suit. Progressives follow suit. Radical egalitarians follow suit with echoes of the most radical abolitionists on the issue of slavery when they didn't know how to counter the theological arguments. And you can find a lot more on this in Mark Knoll's book, The Civil War is a Theological Crisis. But when the most radical abolitionists couldn't counter arguments made by the pro-slavery theologians and pastors and lay people, that slavery is in the Bible. Slavery cannot be evil in the way that you abolitionists are saying it is because it's treated in an even-handed way. It's made room for, it's made allowances for in the Bible. When the most radical abolitionists couldn't counter that with a biblical argument of their own, with a better interpretation of the biblical text of their own, a lot of them concluded, well then, we reject the Bible. The Bible is evil because it violates our supreme principle, which is liberty, and liberty in the abstract, not liberty defined on God's terms by God's word. And insofar as I agree with the sentiment of the abolitionists, generally speaking, we have to be very careful to not go along with such totalism, such absolutism, which makes a God out of a principle which may be true in part, and yet require balancing to be true and useful and not dangerous and not corrosive and not destructive. We can't go making an idol out of liberty in the abstract. We have to see what God's word says about freedom and liberty and self-control and submission and responsibility and duty and honor. And just so, if we are uncomfortable with there being any 
accountability, any subjection to authority politically. It's a chicken and egg question, but perhaps too we have a beef with the idea that wives are told in the New Testament to submit to their husbands in all things as unto the Lord. That's a direct quote. That's what Paul writes. And that's not an anachronism. He wasn't on the wrong side of history. We are on the wrong side of history because history is God's story. God tells the story. He's the judge. He's the lawgiver. He is the gracious, merciful forgiver. But one of the things we need to be forgiven of is kicking against the goad when it comes to God's created order within the family. Not all women should be submitting to all men. That's chaos. Not all children should be submitting to all adults. That's chaos. That's a recipe for confusion. God is not a God of confusion and chaos. God is a God of order. But just so, we submit to proper authority as submission to God's authority. God institutes authority as part of the created order from the beginning, from the garden, creates man first, then says, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helpmeet suitable for him. Which is to say that the role of the woman was to be a helpmeet suitable for her husband. That's her role. That's her created role. It doesn't destroy her to be in subjection. She may not always like it. And that's a, that is a result of the fall. That's a result of the curse. That sometimes she doesn't like being under her husband's authority. Also that sometimes he gives her reasons, valid reasons to not like being under his authority. And yet we can't escape the fact that the original design pre-fall and with God never making a mistake, never being at fault, never messing up, God instituted the created order within the context of marriage with the man being created first to be the head over the woman and in subjection himself to God. The woman, meanwhile, is to submit to her husband in all things as unto the Lord. And so it's a curious business when we see evidence scientifically we can quantify, just look at the world records for athletic competition, men's competition, women's competition. Trust the science. <laughs> Follow the science. Men and women are different. Now, the secularist, the mainstream scientific mind, will say this is a product of evolution. And the argument goes like this. Women were selected as mates by men based on their nurturing qualities because a nurturing woman was more likely to keep the children pointed in the right direction, safe, propagate the species while the man was out hunting and gathering and defending the home, defending the village, defending the cave, what have you, against wild animals, against neighboring tribes. The woman, meanwhile, especially if she was pregnant, if she was nursing, if she was recovering from birth and delivery, if she was watching the children and trying to tend to the house, the woman, meanwhile, would select a mate based on his ability to defend and hunt and gather fight off wild animals, build a home, maintain that home, secure it from the elements, fight off the neighbor when he comes trying to raid your village, raid your home, murder the children, carry the woman off to his house. And over the millennia, over the millions of years, the genes that won out were such that men would be bigger and stronger, and women would be smaller and weaker, but more nurturing. The women would have certain strengths, the men would have certain strengths, and they would divide up the labor accordingly. You're more suited 
to staying home with the children and nurturing them. You're the one who gave birth to them. You're the one who's nursing this infant. The infant can't nurse from me, can't chest feed from me, which is just ridiculous that we're trying to do that. It's a sign of our decadence and our collective insanity that any of us are celebrating that and saying, oh, that's so progressive. No. It's dangerously diluted, is what it is. Over the millennia, mentally ill and deluded people who have thought that the man should stay home and chest feed the infant while the woman goes out and hunts and gathers and fights off the neighbor or raids his village have seen their children die. The man stays home and chest feeds the child. That child starves to death. And you don't propagate the species. That's the evolutionary view of things. And I'm not saying that there's nothing to that. Obviously, certainly, the selection of certain traits based on what is seen as most likely to propagate the species is going to get you more of the same. So on and so forth. There's definitely some there there. But the Christian has to, has to look at God's created order from the garden and conclude that this is by design. Why is the woman weaker than the man? Because she's supposed to be a helpmeet suitable for him. Because she's supposed to help him with this whole be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it thing. And meanwhile, he's supposed to work the ground. And it's important to note here too, there are different kinds of strength. And there are different strengths. And for us to look at it in purely materialistic ways, to say, well, the man is physically stronger, physically faster, physically whatever. Therefore, to admit that would be to say that women are weak and men are strong. And so we've got to offset it. And so we're going to say that men are physically stronger, but women are mentally stronger. And it's like, well, I don't, I, I don't know if you're I don't know if you're grasping this, right? Strong for what? Strong for what? A man's strengths, and here I'm speaking generally in terms of what he's good at, what he's good for, what is, what is he especially capable to do, really has to, in some measure, treat or touch on or connect with a teleological exploration of men and women. It's not enough to say you're strong. Okay, great. You can bench press 400 pounds. Cool. You can deadlift 500 pounds. Sweet. You can run 15 miles faster than anybody. What's it good for? What's the utility of that? Aside from getting a scholarship. Okay, put that off to the side. What's the practical utility outside of us watching you on TV, reading about you in the Guinness world records, you getting a scholarship into some great school, what's the utility of that, right? Like what, at a certain point, you have to boil it down to the telos, the purpose, the utility. And once you get there, the secular folks, the godless folks, or the folks who are nominally Christians, culturally Christians, or they believe that God exists. You do well, even the demons believe that, and shudder. They, all of the above, get really uncomfortable because we have ejected Christian life and thought in any substantive sense from the public square. When it gets introduced, it's overly reductionist and angry and contentious, and it needs to be thoughtful and it needs to be measured and it needs to be circumspect and it needs to be holistic in order to be of good effect, in order to bring a blessing with it and not a curse. But as soon as you start talking about, okay, strong for what, then you have to deal with, well, who would know? Who would know what the purpose of men being bigger and stronger is? The evolutionary biologists as I explained, 
have their theory, they have their explanation, they have their answer for that. It's just survival. Okay, that is not very compelling in a day and age when, okay, we're, we're surviving COVID lockdowns and Civil War 2.0 and World War III notwithstanding. We're surviving, so I guess we can just do whatever now, right? And this goes back to The Fourth Turning by Neil Howe and William Strauss, which I talked about in a recent episode, just a few episodes back. We start to think like that, act like that, lose touch with reality collectively, societally. Then a crisis happens because, lo and behold, there are consequences from divorcing your decisions from reality. But what if God didn't put Adam and Eve in the garden and say, survive, figure it out genetically over millions and millions of years? What if he designed them for a good purpose that he had in mind, which he told us in sufficient clarity and depth for us to catch his meaning and build on that and extrapolate out? And explore by living like it, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. We're not here to just survive. We are here to exercise dominion. We're here to have children and to fill the earth with God's image bearers. That was the big idea. And post-fall, yes, there are thorns and thistles and the ground is going to resist you when you try to plant and harvest. Weeds are going to grow and try and choke out whatever you try to plant and tend and harvest for nourishment, for sustenance. Wild animals are going to be a thorny problem as well. There's a thorn when the tiger is stalking you as you're tending your garden, trying to come after your children, your wife, in order to Fulfill that dominion mandate, that creation mandate, that be fruitful and multiply business. The man does need to be bigger and stronger and capable and not just bigger and stronger, but more assertive, more aggressive, more proactive. He's also those things because he needs to be leading. He needs to be taking the initiative in his family. Testosterone, divorced from all talk of purpose, of telos, of God's design is what, right? It's just chemicals and we can't make sense of it. And what does it matter? And now we're confused and now we're chest feeding and now we're giving young boys and girls hormone therapy because you can be anything you want to be. Evolutionary presuppositions lead people to believe that anything can become anything. Just roll the dice enough, give it enough time. Anything could be nothing. Nothing can be anything. Anything can be anything. What does it matter? Never mind, I give up. Death. Brain death. Soul death. Physical death is what's behind that door. Meanwhile, the truth about where we come from, why we're here, who we are, where we're going, who God is, over all of that, and in all of that, and for all of that to be pleasing to, is life-giving. That's why the proverb says that those who hate God love death. And the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, am I saying that boys and girls and men and women shouldn't have debates? Jesse Waters and uh, South Dakota's governor, Christy Nome, make clear, well, we're not saying that girls can't debate with boys for scholarships, although that's a subjective thing as well because who won the debate is somewhat a matter of interpretation and it's not as quantifiable as the math, the hard reality of weights and measures and time. But what I am saying is we weren't designed to compete with one another. That's why it doesn't work. We're not designed to compete with one another. Men and women competing with one another is one of the things that God says is a consequence of the fall. That actually is a consequence of the fall. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. In other words, let me translate, you will want 
to be the boss. You will want to wear the pants in the family, but your husband is going to exercise leadership, actually. And that's going to be problematic for the both of you. That's going to lead to frustration on both your parts. The truth of it is we were designed to be complementary, to cooperate with one another, for there to be authority and submission, for there to be commitment and love and respect, because that is what God wants his image bearers to do. Because in that, we are communicating something symbolically, call it interpretive dance if you will, we're communicating something about God. And if we break that, if we break that dynamic in marriage, if we break that dynamic in the home, we are doing something destructive to God's image. And we're, we're making a different kind of truth claim. We're testifying to an untruth and to a lie. Now, what you may ask, does any of this have to say about unmarried men and women and boys and girls? Does that mean that a boy and a girl can't compete ever because we're supposed to be complementary in marriage? Well, what if they're not married? Okay, just so. Use your best judgment. It shouldn't be hubristic, and it shouldn't be conceited, and it shouldn't be selfish, even so. And that goes for girls competing with girls. That goes for boys competing with boys. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, Paul writes in the New Testament. We're supposed to be acting out of humility. You can be a humble athlete and compete. There's nothing wrong with athletic competition, but it shouldn't be hubristic. And what I've noticed is so much of the controversy and contention around discussions of gender and sexuality and purpose and our humanity spirals downward as people's pride and ego get in the way. The solution is, well, what does God say about this? Do we respect God's authority on this matter? If not, well then, I guess we just duke it out, right? I guess in that case, to the victor go the spoils. To the one with the biggest stick, who can swing at the hardest, gets to make the decision. Whether we're talking physical, emotional, mental, financial, social, whatever we can reach for and grab in our vying for dominance. But if we do respect God's authority, if we do truly, we should be able to talk about these things. We should be able to navigate these things with a lot less upset, a lot less confusion. Real quick, before we run out of time, one last clip on the Joe Rogan business. Brian Stelter at CNN doesn't know why people trust Joe Rogan. And we'll key in on this. We will be revisiting this again beyond this episode. But real briefly, because it relates. Check this out. You think about major newsrooms like CNN that have health departments and deaths and operations that work hard on verified information on COVID-19. And then you have talk show stars like Joe Rogan who just wing it, who make it up as they go along. And because figures like Rogan are trusted by people that don't trust real newsrooms, we have a tension, a problem that's much bigger than Spotify, much bigger than any single platform, Kate. But that's what the, is the heart of this right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. What's at the heart of this is that we think when you get a whole bunch of people together who are very serious, who have advanced degrees, who have studied the science, but maybe are only allowed to say certain things, whether or not they're true, that is somehow better and safer than if you have an individual pulling in people they disagree with to talk about, hey, wait a second. Okay, what did you say right there? Why do you think that's the truth? Why do you think that's the case? Actually, I think there's a great deal more humility in Joe Rogan's approach to this than CNN's. In fact, I know that to be the case. There's a great deal more humility in Joe Rogan saying, I want to get opinions and perspectives from people I disagree with and I want to ask them questions to find out why they think what they think because I want them to help me 
to think more rightly. They're challenging what I thought, if I thought anything before. Interestingly enough, that is a better picture of how you get at the truth. That's a better picture. That doesn't mean that Joe Rogan's always right, and it doesn't mean that he is always bringing on guests who are correct in their views and their assertions. But it is to say, that's a much better model for us finding out what the truth is and working together. It's a much better model. And that's why people are tuning in. Because the arrogance and the pride and the exploitation of those who are weaker, who are thought of as stupid, that's what I hear, right? That's what I hear from Brian Stelter. Joe Rogan's stupid, and if you listen to him, you're stupid, and we're smart. And if you listen to us, you're smart. But if you listen to Joe Rogan, you're stupid. So listen to us. We'll tell you what to think, because that's what smart people do. They listen to folks like Brian Stelter telling them what to think. It's arrogant. And yet, in the absence of God, when God is removed from the equation, when we don't think about telos and purpose, hey, wait a second, why do I need to retain my ability to think clearly about these things, to talk honestly about these things? Well, in my case, the answer is I need to lead my wife well and my children well. I need to raise my children in a wise, circumspect way. I need to be able to provide for them. I need to be able to protect them from wild animals, from enemies. My children, my wife, they need to be able to think clearly. They need to be able to trust me. I need to be able to not just listen to somebody telling me what to think. I need to be smart. That's why people listen to Joe Rogan, because they want to be smart, not because they think they already are. The folks who listen to CNN think that they're already smart, and they think that the CNN folks are already smart. They lack humility, and that's really the killer. That's really the clencher. That's the death blow. So, tying it all together, humility requires realizing that we don't have it all figured out. We don't know everything. We're not capable of doing everything on our own, even when we do know what we know. And that's by God's design. He created us to be finite creatures, to reflect his infinite goodness throughout all creation. In order to exercise our responsibilities, we have to maintain our right. We have to be able to speak freely. We have to be able to communicate. We have to have a roadmap for gently restoring those who err, for owning it when we make a mistake. We also have to be diligent to not repent of doing the right thing. But that in turn requires that we know the difference between right and wrong, between truth and falsehood, which in my strongly held conviction and opinion means that we go to God because he would know better than God what is good and what is true. But that's all I've got for this episode. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.